Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. <clears throat> I tell you what, we had a great prayer meeting last night here at Calvary Gospel Church. If you missed the prayer meeting, you missed the prayer meeting. Really, we had a great time in the Lord. God just moved in a great way. Our attendance was not the best. But I felt like that probably it was one of the better attended prayer meetings from the standpoint of the unseen guests who were here. I felt that a heavenly host came and ministered to us here in the house of God. Take your Bibles and turn with me. We want to talk about your new life in the Lord. So I will be addressing this all the way from the standpoint of a person giving their life to the Lord. We hope that if others are here that have been living for God for some time, that this will strengthen your faith and help you. John, the third chapter, talks about being born again. Have you ever wished that somehow you could just start your life all over again? Now, I wouldn't want to start all the way back to baby bottles and diapers for sure, but uh, I do have some things that I wish I could redo. I'm sure that all of us live with certain regrets. You know, the thing about God is that every day is the beginning of a deep and fresh experience. And where we make mistakes, the Lord is able to come down and wipe all that clean, erase it, just like you'd take an eraser to a chalkboard. He's able to do that. Then, of course, the person having given their life afresh to the Lord, he takes all the past and rips it out. Somebody said it's like turning over a new leaf. It's more than that. It's like reading from a different book. So it's not reading a different chapter of the same life. It's not like turning over a new leaf. It's like starting all over with a brand new book. Some men's sins go beforehand to be judged. And others follow after them. Thank the Lord that we can start all over. John the third chapter, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily. The word verily means truly or surely. Surely. I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. God bless you. You may be seated. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now verse 5, and we'll make reference to that. The Bible speaks of being born of water. And verse 8, the Bible speaks of being born of spirit. I interpret the birth of the water to be water baptism and the birth of the Spirit to be receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, you might be able to interpret this differently if we had only the third chapter of the book of John in the Bible. But we have more than that, and thank the Lord for another witness. We have the entire book of Acts and we have the epistles, which are letters written to the church. While Jesus was here, He did not start the church, but He 
became the foundation for the church. It was necessary for him to ascend into the heavens. Thus, finishing or completing the foundation and sending back his own spirit, coming back in a different form to man. In Acts, the second chapter, we find the birth of the church. For this reason, we find future tense found in Matthew 16, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, Behold, all things are new. The word creature literally means a new species. That simply means that God not only starts in a different book, He starts with a different surrounding, a different environment, a different species. There are certain places where you will find a particular species of flowers. There are certain Habitats where you will find a species of animal life. For the most part, we know that fish must have water. And they must live submerged in that water. They receive their oxygen from that water. And they cannot exist with wings flying across above the terrain, rather across the sky. The reason why is because they're just not that species. And the first conclusion that you come to when you come to God, my life is new. I am a new species. Old things have passed away. All things are new. So there is a mandate for a different habitat. A chance to leave all of your old habits behind and begin new habits that are blessed and sanctioned by the Holy Spirit. Not only a chance to leave them behind, but as I say, the mandate from God that they must be left behind. Now, there are several scriptures in the Bible that make reference to this. I'd like to just turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Now, the book of Ephesians is a book that you want to read. You want to read it from the very start to the very finish. But the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter, I'd like to just read some things in your hearing. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Now, followers of God simply means this. That we are to walk as God walked and as He walks today. So when we talk about laying old habits behind the best thing for us to consider is this. If we are following God, would God do what I am about to do? Or would God do what I previously did? And the line of logic is this, that we follow and do only those things that we are assured that God Himself would do. Now, verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also have loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. A sweet-smelling savor. Have you ever gone into an, an area 
where that something in that area was rank and something was rotten and something was not so sweet. Not too long ago, I passed the place walking down a road and I quickly and hurriedly left the area because I knew something wasn't quite right. The Bible tells us that we become sacrifices walking in love. And Christ became a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God. And so our lives, if we walk with God, must be that way. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be named once among you. So it's not a trial or error thing in certain respects. God will tolerate certain sins for quite some time. Others not so long at all. And some He doesn't tolerate from the very start of the line. And this is what He's saying. Now, there are are certain things. God never tolerates fornication, which is sexual uncleanness, in any way. He will not tolerate uncleanness which is another way of of stating fornication. He will not tolerate covetousness. In the New Testament, we know in the book of Colossians, the Bible tells us that if a man covets, that he is an idolater. So God will not tolerate that. He said, let it not be named once among you, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. The Bible says, For this you know, that no foremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, nor a man who is an idolater, hath an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now basically, God is holy. And when we talk about being born again, we're talking about receiving His Holy Spirit. We talked to you last weekend about this. So we receive His Holy Spirit. God is holy. And we are going to a holy city. And when we hear the word holiness, the word holiness should be something that all born-again believers cherish to hear. And if you ever get to the place that you don't like to hear the word holiness, something is drastically wrong with your vernacular. It should be something you talk about and something that you love to hear about. This is also found in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 23 and verse 24. Basically, what God is doing, He has given you the opportunity, and I stress the word opportunity, to keep yourself right with Him. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, verse 24, and I made reference to this already, some men's sins are gone open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men's sins follow them. Now this is basically saying that when we give our life to the Lord, when we repent of our sins and we're baptized exclusively in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we send all of our iniquities, all of our trespasses to the judgment seat of Christ. They are judged and then cast into hell, which is known in the Scripture as the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. God gives us that opportunity. Now, if that's true with the new birth, doesn't it challenge us also 
if we are to survive in His kingdom, that we keep ourselves pure and we keep ourselves holy and we keep ourselves undefiled. So we have the opportunity to overcome sin and become a member of the God's team. Basically, we get on God's side. Philippians, the first chapter, verse 6, the Bible says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I read this scripture because this is something that's important for you to believe. A lot of people feel that, that God, that they're not able to live up to the expectations that are found in the scripture relative to Christian living. Without God working in you, uh, you are not able to. You were never intended by God to live this life separate and apart of God based upon your own merits, your own understanding, or your own goodness. For all of our righteousness as human beings is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Now what is the church? The word church is first found in the New Testament in Matthew 16, 18. Thou art Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. The word church comes from a Greek word ecclesia or ekklesia, which simply means the called out ones. In 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verse 14 through 18, and we'll not read this, but the Bible admonishes us to be separated from the world and to be separated from the things of the world. The Scripture also tells us that we should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It's a new life, a new habitat, a new fellowship. Fellowship first and foremost with God, and then secondly with the children of the Lord. Now separation should never be interpreted as isolation. We are in this world, not isolated from the world, but we are in this world but not a part of this world. Throughout the Scriptures we are admonished that we are also the body of Christ in that His body was pure and His body was holy and His body was undefiled. He who knew no sin became sin for us. From His mouth never came forth anything that was evil. He never lied, never told a lie. He never in any way tried to trick people. He never in any way tried to cover up. He was honest and He was pure. The Scripture tells us that He was the Lamb, the sacrificial pure Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. He who knew no sin became sin for us. But inasmuch that His body was pure and inasmuch as His body is holy and the Bible believers today are not only considered to be the church but they are also considered the body of Christ, so should we also present ourselves before Him without spot nor wrinkle. Now, none of us can do that without the shed blood of Christ. For we must have to constantly go before Him for that cleansing, for that purifying. If you have not heard it before, let it be heard today that every day without fail you should go in the presence of God taking your life and opening your life before Him and praying for a cleansing. Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Find the iron art the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. God wants to receive glory out of our lives, but cannot receive glory out of our lives when we are in a state of transgression or iniquity. We must be purified and cleansed by His shed blood in order for Him to receive glory and edification. Now the Bible teaches us in Ephesians the fifth chapter, verse 25 through verse 27, that we are indeed the Bible-believing body of Christ. Now let's talk about some things that we believe. Let's talk about the fundamental doctrine. By fundamental doctrine, we talk about the basic doctrine that holds us together as a group. Now you can go to many other places and find that they also have fundamental doctrines. But basically, all of us are held together as a body, as a group, because we adhere and believe the same things. So the fundamental doctrine simply means that it is the doctrine that establishes us and puts us together as one. Now, we believe first in the new birth. I just read that. And we believe the new birth that's found in John 3 is not a type of any birth as much as it is an actual birth. That you are literally born of water and you are born of spirit. Now, prior to this birth, and the Bible speaks of this throughout the pages uh, of its writing, from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22, of the extreme importance of repentance. Repentance is mortification of worldly and lustly and fleshly desires. The Scripture tells us in Luke 13, 3, these are the words of Jesus, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. It is also found in Luke 13, 5. Now, the original sin states the law, the man that sins, or the original law states, the man that sins will surely die. But God came along and said, that is true, however, we want to make an exception to this rule. The exception is that if a man will die once here in his emotions in his inner being, his soul, and his spirit. If he will die one time in the spirit and one time in the flesh, then he will live forever. And so we have this privilege, this opportunity to, to take our sinful nature and nail it to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified with him, so that we can live forever. While we do believe that God's voice is authoritative, His yeas are yeas and His nays are nays, we also know in the area of salvation, the Bible says the mercy of the Lord endureth forever. And mercy is the withholding of judgment. That simply means God by rights could pronounce judgment upon us and damnation into hell and the lake of fire Forever and ever and ever. But he comes along and says, but I'll make an exception of that. If you will die now to all those thin things that cause my wrath to be against man to start with, to pronounce judgment against man to start with, then I will allow you to live forever. So we find in the Scripture some exceptions, except the man repent, except the man be born of water, except the man be born of spirit. So the exception begins with repentance. It follows through with baptism in His name. 
and follows through with the new birth. And so as a result, repentance is a very viable, it is an imperative part of the new believer. Contrary to what we are hearing in, in some Pentecostal circles today, where people are receiving Christ without repenting at all. Uh, the Bible tells us that that's not true, that you can't do it. You have to repent before you receive Christ. I read a lengthy article just this week, and it was talk of, talking about this very thing. And they were saying that many churches are not stressing this, that they are saying you can be born again simply by just changing your attitude towards something. But is it possible to change your attitude toward God without submitting to Him? And submission to God begins in repentance. The turning over of your own will to Him. Now we also believe, and we've said this several times since we began this message, that we believe in baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans the 6th chapter. Let me just start reading or start quoting some. I may not quote it verbatim, but take your Bibles and read all the way through verse 4. Uh, after this message is over and you're studying this tape, the Bible tells us, uh, what shall we do? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us that were baptized unto Jesus Christ were baptized unto His death. Therefore we are buried with Him in baptism. Baptism acquaints us with the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, according to the Scripture, is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord. Jesus Christ died, He was buried, and He arose again, thus making it possible for the new believer, the new creature, walking and following after Christ to experience a death, which is repentance, a burial, which is baptism, and a walk to newness of life, which is the infilling of the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, if you've only repented, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. If you've only repented and been baptized, you need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And if you have not received the gift of the Holy Ghost, please remember this, that there is no promise in the Scripture that God will give us resurrecting power in the day of the Lord. For the Bible tells us in Romans the 8th chapter that the very Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies in the day of the Lord. We need resurrecting power to take us out of this world. When Jesus Christ comes back for His church, let's lift our hands and magnify Him and praise Him. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Now, we find that the New Testament church practiced this. We have examples in the Bible. Examples of this found in Acts, the second chapter. This is the birth of the church. Acts 2.38, when the men were pricked in their hearts at the result of the preaching of Peter, the Bible tells us, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible also tells us in Acts, the tenth chapter, that Peter went to Cornelius' household. And he commanded him to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Cornelius actually received the Holy Ghost while Peter preached to him. And Peter had this to say after he had received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. He said, Can any man forbid water 
that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then we go to Acts the 19th chapter. In Acts the 19th chapter, we find that Paul found certain disciples at Ephesus. Obviously, these were disciples of John the Baptist because he asked them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So his first question was, Have you been born of the Spirit? And they said, We don't know anything about being born of the Spirit. How then were you baptized? They said, Under John's baptism. So his second question was, How were you baptized? He said, Under John's baptism. He said, Well, John verily said that there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. And that is that you should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Now when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. The book of Acts is the history of the church. It contains examples of the commandments of Jesus Christ and also the teachings that are followed through in the, the, the epistles. Now, another very important doctrine that's found in the Bible is the doctrine of the oneness, that God is one. The Bible does not tell us that God is triune as far as personality is concerned. Now, we know that the church world today basically teaches us this. The church world says that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. It might interest you to know that the term God the Son is not found in the Scripture. The Son of God, that term is found in the Scripture. Paul tells us in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and I'd like for you to turn there, if you would, because this is so very, very important that you, you read this along with me. The Bible tells us in verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling. Now, God only has one body. That body was the body of Jesus Christ. He only had one spirit, that is the Holy Spirit. Regardless of what you call God in the Old Testament, He was spirit. For God is a spirit, and no man has seen God at any time. Now we see God expressed through sonship, which was His flesh and blood body as He walked on the planet earth. He goes on to say there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now that pretty much sums it up. That pretty much sums it up. And I'm thankful that I can stand here to tell you that I believe that God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And there was a Pharisee by the name of Paul that was struck blind on the Damascus Road. And his first question after being struck blind was this. He heard the voice come from heaven. He said, who art thou, Lord? And there was a voice that came from heaven saying, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. He wanted to know who the Lord was because he was a strict adherer to the law of Moses. Now, knowing this and knowing that God is one and knowing that God is holy, the Bible tells us that we should grow in God and in doing so, we perfect God in our lives, or we perfect holiness in our lives. So, if you would take your scripture, uh, your Bible, and turn to Second Corinthians seven, word, 
7, the 7th chapter, verse 1, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, the Bible says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, some people feel that holiness is only a part or an aspect of the spirit. Others feel that it's all external or it has to do with the flesh. But the Bible tells us that we should perfect holiness in spirit and also in our flesh. Now, after this, what do I do next? What's the next step? This is always a big question because people come and they say, how do I grow in God? What does God expect of me? What is the next step? The Bible tells us that we should learn to apply the Scriptures to our lives. Basically, we trust in God and we live according to His principles. Now, all of us know that if we are involved in a warfare, and we are, because life was never intended to be a bed of roses, even people who give their lives to the Lord, they struggle. But all of our struggling is not in vain if we know how to properly equip ourselves for the struggle. Basically, we wrestle not against flesh and blood anymore, but we wrestle against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. The Bible tells us in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, also 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4, that we are to put on the whole armor of God. Let me just go through some of that. The Bible tells us that we have our loins girt about with truth. We have on the breastplate of righteousness. The Bible tells us we have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It tells us that we take the shield of faith. We take the helmet of salvation. And then the Scripture goes on to tell us that we also take on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Oh, how important. We've got faith. We've got salvation. uh, We've got truth. We've got righteousness. God has given us all of this protection. Now, we can't just take it off and leave it at home. We've got to put it on every day. But if we put this on every day, uh, naturally it, it takes more than just getting up and say, now I put on this shield. Now I put on this sword or pick up this sword. Now I put on this breastplate. No, the truth of the matter is that when we put on Christ, the Bible tells us in Galatians 3.27 that when we are baptized, we put on Christ. Putting on Christ simply means that we wear Christ just like we wear a garment. Now, while He's inside of us and baptizes us with His Holy Spirit, that He also give us, gives us protection so that we can ward off the fiery darts of the enemy. Now, what about prayer? Prayer is our verbal communication with God. And I say our verbal communication with God. I like to say this because some people feel that they can just meditate or pray silently. Now, please understand that there is a vast difference between meditation and prayer. Meditation is so important. The Bible says, think on these things. But thinking in the Scripture was never called prayer. Prayer was verbalizing. In the book of Luke, when we find Luke 11, chapter verse 1, when the disciples came to the Lord... 
they ask this very important question. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, we know in Matthew 6, verse 9, that the same thing happened. But this phrase is not mentioned there. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus actually taught them how to pray. The truth of the matter is, that's not what they asked. They just said, teach us to pray. But when Jesus prayed, He not only taught them to pray, taught them the importance of prayer, He actually taught them how to pray. All of these are 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 one. But if there's anything that Christians fail drastically in, and that is in their communication with God, it's pretty hard to be negative all the time when you're talking to the infinite power of wisdom. Praise God. It really is. I came to the prayer meeting last night somewhat down and out. I took a little tumble from a ladder this past week. I have a bad knee. I was on the ladder. My knee gave out. It just went bad. I fell from the ladder on a cement sidewalk with a stack of uh, plywood there. I jammed my elbow. I think I broke a rib. It's just been hurting me all week. My knee went out, and of course I favored that, and I have a arthritis and an ankle on the other leg. And Well, you're talking about really feeling down and out. I came to the prayer meeting last night. I told somebody, I said, you know, I'm too young to feel so old. But all of a sudden, people gathered around me and they started praying. And I began to talk to God. All of His promises are yea and they are amen. That God suffers when I suffer. The Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ came, robed in flesh, to walk down the paths of life, to be tempted and to be and to be scourged and suffer in all respects like as me. He knows what it's like to have pain. Therefore, in his body he took stripes for my healing. Now, Lord, you're interested. You're very interested in my healing. I begin to verbalize all of this to God. Now, it's hard then to just sit there and not be positive about it. And it seems like the, the more positive I was about it, the better I felt. And after a while, my, I'll tell you what, I felt like running through a troop and jumping over a wall, as the psalmist did. And I must confess to you, I stand behind this pulpit today saying, I feel well and strong in my body and in my spirit. Why? Because I communicated with God and God answers prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And if you get caught up in negative thinking, where your thinking is stinking all the time, oh, you need to get a hold of a God. A God that's bigger than life. A God that's bigger than all of the world. A God that's bigger than all of your circumstances. He can pick you up. He can set you on high. He can lift your spirits up. You can encourage yourself in the Lord. Let's lift our hands and worship Him. Oh, praise God. Isn't it great to communicate with Him? It's great to be able to lift our hands and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. We sing the song about what a friend we have in Jesus, but the truth of the matter is, many people that sing it never experience that personal relationship with God. Praise God. He is a friend. One that loves at all times. He called us friends. He said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. He said, why? Because a servant never knows what his master doeth, but a friend communicates. 
A friend talks. A friend tells you his secrets. The secrets of the Lord are revealed to them that fear him. Praise God. If you want in on the will of God, if you want to know what life is all about, if you want to know what God's thinking about, you need to pray and pray and pray and communicate with God. Oh, let me tell you something. You can scare the devil literally to death. Praise God. For a man stands tallest when he's on his knees. Praise God. A man stands tallest when he's on his knees. Praise God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your cares on Him, for He careth for you. Praise God. Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse 6, the Bible tells us we should make our request known unto God. He wants to know. Jesus said, when you pray, say. He didn't say, when you pray, think. Praise God. And you know the reason why that a lot of people get in trouble? Because they think too much and they don't verbalize and talk to God enough. Praise God. I can get to thinking and get myself down in the dumps. Praise God. But when I get to praying, oh, let me tell you something, I get lifted up and in a hurry. Then, of course, the Bible also tells us we need to read our Bibles. And I make this a top priority. You need to read your Bible every day. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the 4th chapter, pardon me, verse 12. The Bible says, For the word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and the spirit into the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Did you know that when you read the Bible, God can read your mind? You know that? Now, He can read your mind anyway. But I'm talking about He begins to reveal to you. But see, God goes beyond that. He reads the thoughts and the intents. You know, if there, and we've been reading in the paper quite a bit about murderers and a particular crime, a murder that's been committed by a murderer. And what they tried to establish is what was the motive? In other words, what was the intent? The Bible tells us that God can read your mind and tell you what your intentions are, your motives. Basically, He can He can read the attitude that causes you to think the way you think. And the Scripture tells us not only is the word of the Lord that powerful, but it also goes into the joints and to the morrow where healing takes place. God can do that. This is the reason why the Bible says He sent forth His word and healed them. The Bible tells us also in the book of John, John five thirty nine, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. The Bible says, search the Scriptures, for they are they which testify of me. If you want to know how to be like Jesus, you need to read the Scripture. You need to search the Scripture. The Bible also tells us, in addition to this, <clears throat> Psalm 119, verse 4. Let's, let's go all the way back to Psalm 119. It's a beautiful, beautiful Psalm. Psalm 119, 4. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Precepts, talking about the Word of the Lord. Now, how can you keep something diligently if you don't know what it is or you're not acquainted with it? And isn't it true that we forget about things that we don't keep going over all the time? Then the Bible tells us in verse 9, look at this. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Praise God. You can stay clean just by reading the word of the Lord. Do you know that? 
There's cleansing power. And then, of course, <clears throat> verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes, and I will not forget thy word. Now, if you're not reading it all the time, what happens? You will forget it. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, you will forget it. And then verse 105, <clears throat> the Scripture says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the olden days, they didn't have rail-back flashlight batteries. And they didn't have rail-back flashlights. And what they did, they strapped the lamp to their ankle and they could see one step at a time. And isn't life much like that? That uh, we just seemingly take one step at a time. But you never have to take it in the dark. Because when you're reading the Bible, there's always light for you. You know where you're going. Always know where you're going. And then verse 165, the Bible tells us, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. One reason why a lot of people drop out of church is because they get offended. Did you ever stop to think that everybody in life has reason to be offended? And what you have to do, see, you have to stack up enough evidence against that reason to overwhelm it. In other words, you stack up the evidence, you come, you look at it and you say, I've got reason to be offended. And yet God stacks all this evidence up and He says, now you can have a forgiving spirit so that you don't hold grudges against people and you don't do things through strife or vainglory. And you're not so sensitive every little thing. Because let me assure you of this one thing. If hurt feelings can keep you away from God, hurt feelings will do it. Because there are just too many agents of evil that will make sure that it happens. <clears throat> Praise God. Now, in addition to praying, in addition to reading the Bible... What should I do? I should also attend service regularly. The line of logic that I use is this. Do you think what we do is important here at the house of God? Do you think this is important? If this is important, it is necessary to get here to do it. Because you can't do it unless you get here. Now, that's not too hard to figure out, is it? For this reason, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. We need to exhort one another. Exhortation is something we don't normally like. We like to edify each other. But the Bible says that we need to provoke one another to good works. Somebody needs to stand up behind the pulpit. If you have been derelict in your responsibilities to Christ, Somebody needs to stand up behind the, the pulpit and say, you need to understand the necessity of being in the house of God. You need to understand the necessity of coming and being with people of like precious faith. Why? Because just like last night, the prayer meeting lifted me up. Now, I can truthfully say, I could have been alone and lifted myself up. David encouraged himself in the Lord with nobody else there. But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't always work. This is the reason why a lot of people get down and out and get the stinking thinking going on. They have a pity party. 
know, a lot of people like to party. At pity parties. <clears throat> I've heard a lot of people say, I'll tell you one thing, when I accepted the Lord, I stopped partying. You know what I found out with a lot of Christians? Yeah, they stopped partying. Drinking, smoking, using drugs, and so forth and so on. But after they found the Lord, they went into this pity party thing. I'm a Christian. I can't do anything. I can't go anyplace. Nobody loves me. I'm just stuck. I'm a victim of this life. And see, that's what happens when you do not have this vibrant communication with each other. Let this pastor tell you, he doesn't love you either. Like somebody said, I don't want to go to church. There are too many hypocrites. I'd rather go to church with a few than burn in hell with all of them. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. We need to obey God's Word in giving. This is very, very important. We, we pass the offering plate almost every time we come to the house of God. One man told me, he said, well, I stopped going to church, and the reason why I stopped going to church is because all they want is money, 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 money. You know, the Lord spoke to me. I didn't know this man. I was preaching his father's funeral. And the Lord spoke to me and quickened my heart. And I called him aside, and I said, let me ask you something. I said, you stopped going to church because of money? Does, does, does it offend you when people talk about money? He said, yes. I said, could it be that maybe... It's not the preacher that loves money as much as you love. I mean, if you don't have it to give, you just don't get it. The Bible says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. It is an investment to give. The Bible says in Second Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verse 6 through 8, he that soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. If you want to get a crop, you've got to put more than one grain of corn, one kernel of corn in the ground. And what you get back is going to be in direct proportion to what you put in the ground. Now, it's going to be multiplied many, many times, but it's necessary to put a lot in if you want a lot out. Isn't that right? The first, one of the first things you want to do when you come to the Lord is learn how to appropriate a blessing. Some people live under a, a horrendous curse because they're greedy, tightwadish. Could I say you this? There ain't going to be no tightwads in heaven. God takes the very thing that you hoard and love and paves streets with it. And said, everybody comes in here is going to walk on gold. I'm going to pave the streets with the thing that you feel secure with. <clears throat> now, we need to learn to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5, 22 through 26. Is the character of God. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. I don't see anything about in there about being hot-headed. Is that right? I don't see anything in there about being easily offended. I don't see anything in there about gossiping. Why? Because that's not part of the character of God. See? God is love. And aren't you glad that when you go to God that He is love? 
Aren't you glad also that when you're sad, He can give you joy? Aren't you glad that when you're confused, He can give you peace? Aren't you glad that sometimes when you're a little short on mercy, God says, I want to teach you something about long-suffering? And the best way to say long-suffering is long-suffering. That may not be the way God says it, but that's the way He practices it. Praise God. <laughs> Let's give the Lord a good hand clap. Isn't He good? Isn't He wonderful? Isn't He great? Aren't you glad you can serve Him and be on His side and worship Him? Praise God. Now seeing all of these great attributes about God, what does it make you want to do? In the Scripture... When people experience the goodness of the Lord, the first thing they want to do is go tell everybody. Come see a man who has told me all things that I've ever done. Praise God. Not only do we have this desire, we are commanded in the Scripture. And the reason why is because God reconciled us unto Himself by reconcile, we simply means that, that God through Jesus Christ brought us back to Him. We were adverse to God, enemies to God, and He made us friends again. And 2 Corinthians 5.18, the Bible says we are told that we are to be reconciled to God by Jesus Christ and we are also called to a ministry of reconciliation. There are just many people out in the world that they'd serve God if they really understood God and they knew how to make peace with God. Come back to the Lord. Who's going to tell them but you? I don't know what to tell them. Just tell people how good God's been to you. See? That's it. This is a simple little formula, but if you'll follow it, I'll guarantee you one thing. That you'll win people to the Lord. See, we're a new species. Reproduction of a species is a natural occurring phenomenon. You know that? Oh, do we ever have the babies around? Now we got a whole bunch of babies on the way. Isn't that something? And you know the reason why this happens for the most part. It's just something that's kind of natural. Isn't it? It's got a lot of babies. It's got a lot of babies on the way. And you see, the how you get people to come to God is if you just tell how good God is. How great God is. I believe in talking about the doctrine. And the doctrine is very important. But you see, love and joy, the character of God, is the vehicle that transports the gospel or the doctrine to people. They want to know about His attributes. How lovely is He? How wonderful is He? How great is He? And this becomes the vehicle by which you transport the doctrine to people. Well, it goes without being said that God does expect us in the realm of of, of this era, in, in the realm of witnessing, that to be fruitful. Uh, the Scripture just tells us that we should. The, the Bible tells us that in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
So we are, the Bible tells us, that we should go forth and bring forth fruit, according to John 15, 16. Now, in this context, it's really talking about winning somebody to the Lord. Read that. John 15, 16. Now, inasmuch as He gave His life for us, and we became recipients of eternal life, does it sound selfish to you if a man just sits down and doesn't share this, that's to me. Yeah, you know, it's it just you know, if you drive if you're driving a Chevrolet and you think a Chevrolet is the best car in the world, I will assure you that there's more than just you that know you feel that way about it. Isn't that right? I mean, we just have a way of spreading good news. Not only should we spread the good news, we should be the good news. Now, what are I want to change the subject a little bit. I want to talk about encountering conflict and how to find help. My time's running out, so I'll have to hurry through some of this. Will you stumble in your walk with God? I'm just going to rephrase it and give you the correct answer. When you stumble in your walk with God, here's what you should do. Now, you will have temptation. Let's turn to James 1. James, the first chapter. James 1. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Now you need to pray every day that, that you are not led into temptation. Jesus taught us to pray that. For when he has tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So, what is the Bible telling us? The Bible says, now, you're going to have to be very, very careful about temptation. Now, there are three enemies of the soul. The devil, the word, and the flesh. In 1 Peter 5 and 8, the Bible speaks of the devil as our adversary. He goes forth as a mighty, roaring lion seeking who, whom he may devour. You ever felt like the devil wanted to pat you on the back? I can tell you one thing. He'd like to get his fangs in you. He'd like to eat you up. You know that? So the Bible tells us to be vigilant. What is a vigilant man? A man that's alert. A man that's got his eyes open. A man that's looking. Now you will stumble. And I could say this. Just the cardinal crime of Christianity is not to stumble. You will get knocked down. The cardinal crime is... To stay down. See? Because when you fall, the devil likes to come around and make you feel, well, you're not any good. Jesus doesn't love you. Nobody loves you. And life is hard. And you're just you're, you're caught up in this victim of circumstances. But if we understand the devil, that he is our enemy, we also need to understand the world is our enemy. First John 2, 15 and 17 through 17. John admonishes us, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. If a man loves the world, the love of God is not in him. 
The Bible also tells us, according to Galatians 5, 17 through 21, about the works of the flesh. And that if any man adheres to the works of the flesh, he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The works of the flesh are, and I won't name all of them, but adultery, fornication, uncleanness. The Bible tells us it's hatred, variance, uh, emulations, wrath, and strife, and so forth. Now, you don't want to get caught up with all that. That's why you came out of the world. See? I tell people quite bluntly like this. If you like all of these things, the world's out there waiting for you. That's their game. Go to it, friend. But if you like a real haven, a place where you can come away, a place where you can give your heart to God, uh, you need a church. It doesn't mean it's perfect, but that doesn't mean it's made up of people just like you. I am a man. And all the other men here are men. And all the ladies here are ladies just like you if you're a lady. But we need to understand this. Even in view of our weakness, God is not willing that any man should perish. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, He is not willing that any should perish, but is long-suffering to usher. The Bible also tells us in 1 John 1, 7-10, the Bible tells us that we should confess our wrongs. The Bible says He is just to forgive us. The Bible tells us in, in the book of John, He said, My little children, I forbid that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The Bible tells us in Proverbs the 28th chapter, verse 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. God is a merciful God. And God is unwilling to condemn us if we repent. Did you know that? Now naturally, condemnation sets in as a normal result of sin. But the Bible says, There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh but after the Spirit. If I, if I can just manifest enough good common sense to go after God and stay after God, I can keep myself above all these feelings of condemnation. If problems persist, you should seek the guidance of spiritual leaders. And let me make myself available to you if you have problems. I want to help you. But I'm only one person, and there's many of you. And it may be necessary for you to call on another minister or an elder or somebody who brought you to God. You need to do that. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 1, verse 1. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. God wants us to align ourselves with good, solid Christian leaders. Praise God. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 11 and 12, the Bible says, He gave us apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. We need to know how to understand God's will, knowing that God desires from us 
knowing what God desires from us and expects from us removes a lot of frustration and confusion. Let me quote a scripture to you. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and perfect, good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So there's a formula in the Bible in which we can know God's will and follow God's will. Praise God. Get involved with some Christian friends. Stay with them. It's said in the second chapter of the book of Acts, and we'll turn there and have you to stand in closing, if you will. Our classes are coming out. I'm going just a wee bit over time. <clears throat> I knew this would take a little while. Let's just read Acts 2.38. Just, just follow along with me. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to all your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received this word were baptized, and the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Turn to somebody near you and shake their hand and say, I love you. Praise God. And in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. What is the conclusion of all the matter? You know, Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, what is the conclusion of all the matter? That we fear God and keep His commandments. That's the conclusion of the whole matter. For Jesus Christ Himself is soon to appear for His church. You want to be rapture ready? You can be. All you have to do is just put forth your best foot. Really. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. Just keep on trying. Even when you feel like you've flunked the test. Don't give Let's lift our hands and praise Him. Oh, thank you, God. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Our altar is open down to the front if anybody wants to come and renew their experience with the Lord. Or somebody here who's never given their life to Jesus. Let me tell you something. I introduce you to the best friend I have ever known. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The perfect Lamb that took my sins away. Would you come and give your heart to Him as our praise singers sing?
I'm a new creation. Oh God. I'm a brand Come on right now. 